0: Welcome, ankle biters. You've stumbled on to far-fars, far-fetched fables. The home of tall tales, old chestnuts, fish stories, and other unassorted yarns. We mostly cater to the ones here, but you grown-ups can have a listen too. If you have a mind to, tap on the follow button on your podcast app, or find us on the Facebook. In the meantime, turn off the TV, put down the cell phone get yourself a glass of warm milk, and settle in for some old-time storytelling. Tonight's episode... Chapter 15, Paul Bunyan's Last Exploits.
1: It is regrettable that the records of Paul Bunyan's adventures on the Pacific Coast are not more complete. Not nearly so much is known of his work there as has been told about his earlier labors. Indeed, only a few stories have come down to us regarding the great loggers' latter years. Such neglect may, however, seem quite natural when one considers that it was in the East, in the Dakotas, and in the Lake States, that Paul performed his greatest deeds and carried on the mightiest logging that the world will ever witness." Accordingly, historians have been interested principally in preserving the records of his work there and have not had the time to pay much attention to the lesser things which he accomplished in Washington and Oregon. It is said that on his trip westward, several days after leaving the Lake States, Paul became a little careless while thinking over several matters of importance and allowed the sharp end of his heavy peavey to drag on the ground. Holding it loosely with one hand as he walked along, absorbed in deep thought, he permitted it to drag for quite a distance before his attention was called to the damage he was doing. Wherever the sharp steel end had scratched along the earth, it had dug right down through rock and rubble, making a tremendous gash many miles long and hundreds of feet deep.
0: Son of a... that's gonna leave a mark.
1: Paul Bunyan certainly left his mark on that part of the country and anyone who has seen the Grand Canyon can have no doubts about the size of the great logger knowing that his peavey made such a mark. Among the better known of Paul's faithful followers who accompanied him to the Pacific coast was one queer old codger who was named Halfway Hank. Poor Hank had at one time been a most capable lumberjack until one sad day during the big fog when he had been caught and crushed by a falling tree. When he finally recovered from his terrible accident, it was found that only about half of him was left. One arm, one eye, and one leg were gone. And so forever afterwards, he was known as Halfway. Paul sent the unfortunate Jack out to his farm, and there Hank was put in charge of the great hives of bees, which kept the camp supplied regularly with the wonderful golden honey that was always served with Sourdough Sam's flapjacks. Halfway Hank had become quite interested in his new work and very proficient as well, considering the shape he was in. He developed a surprising agility which aided him greatly as a bee herder, and so expert did he become before very long that he could drive his millions of bees to pasture each morning and back to their hives again in the evening without losing track of a single one of his charges. On Paul's trek westward, halfway Hank brought up the rear of the procession, industriously hopping along on his one leg and herding his bees in a close humming swarm. He drove that great swarm of bees entirely across the country, over high mountains, Through terrible deserts, and only lost three bees along the way. At the end of the journey, he claimed that those three would never have been lost if he hadn't been shy a leg. Finally, Paul and those with him reached a section of the country where the timber grew tall and thick, and where the opportunities for logging seemed most ideal. It was among the big trees of Washington or Oregon that the great logger finally settled after his long journey from the Lake States, and it was here that he established his new camp. Here it was also that he built his great sawmill. No one knows just why he became interested in owning a sawmill, for he was a man who was never content unless he was out of doors among the trees. Perhaps, though, he built it to be sure of a place where he could dispose of the logs his crews cut, and then turned the actual management over to Johnny Inkslinger. Or perhaps he built it so as to have a place for testing out the new band saw, which he invented at this time, and which to a great extent soon replaced the old fashioned circular saw in the larger mills of the country. At any rate, Paul Bunyan built his sawmill in one of the Pacific Coast states, and a most wonderful mill it was. It was taller than the highest building of that or any other day, and the band saws in it ran from top to bottom, passing through the several hundred floors in turn and sawing logs on every floor. So great was the capacity of this mill that it had to run only one day a week in order to saw up all the timber that could possibly be cut during the rest of the time. There was a little trouble with it at first, but that was soon fixed. The workmen who put the machinery together originally were rather ignorant of the intricate new contrivances which they were handling, and they put the whole mill together backwards. Then when the power was turned on, the entire mill ran just the opposite of what it should have done, working up sawdust into boards and then back into the original logs, instead of starting out with the logs and ending up with boards and sawdust. Paul let it run this way for a while, until it had worked all of the waste shavings and mountains of sawdust in that part of the country into good logs again, and then he tore it down and rebuilt it the right way. Needless to say, the sawmill worked perfectly after that. It became quite a hobby with Paul, and he equipped it with all kinds of doodads and gadgets and ding faddles which he invented until an inventory of his equipment would read like a Sears and Roebuck catalog. The only trouble he had with it after that was with its smokestacks, which were so tall the clouds were always getting tangled around them. Finally, he had to equip the smokestacks with hinges and and block-and-tackle machinery so that they could be lowered when any especially big clouds had to get by. The little ones didn't worry him any, as he had stationed men on the tops of the smokestacks, and these were able to push off the smaller clouds with their long poles they held. It was in the northwest that Paul decided to make the work a little easier for the great blue ox, and so he bought several thousand yokes of ordinary oxen to assist Babe in pulling heavy loads over the mountains. The oxen didn't last very long, however, on account of the miscalculation which someone had made in yoking all the animals up together. Seeing that he had such enormous pulling power to do the work, Paul had fixed up an extra heavy load of logs, which he intended to have his animals drag across several mountain ranges and on down to the ocean. When they started out, with the mighty babe in the lead... "'There was a long line of yoked oxen as far as the eye could see, "'stringing down the side of the mountain range "'and across the valley at its foot "'and on ahead toward where the next range blocked the way. "'Everything went all right until Babe, "'at the head of the procession, "'started up the steep slope across on the other side of the valley. "'Not nearly all of the other oxen "'had had yet come across the crest of the first mountains, "'and so here they were, a line of them, from the mountaintop on one side, across the valley, and now starting up the mountain on the other side. And that is where the accident happened. Babe always worked much faster going uphill than he did in any other way, and now, with the long, steep slope ahead of him, he speeded up for all he was worth. Before anyone could stop him, He had stretched out that line of oxen high up in the air, tight from the crest of one mountain range to that of the other across the valley. There they hung, just like clothes on a line, and before the great blue ox could be made to back up and lower them to the ground again, every ox in the string had been strangled. (sighs) It is said that Paul's crews were fed on beef for a long time after that. I slaughtered this horse last Tuesday. I'm afraid she's started to turn. So Babe continued to do all the hauling alone after that, until several years later, when suddenly he began to lose all of his old-time energy and interest in doing his tremendous tasks. His appetite also failed, and he showed in other ways that old age was upon him. This was not surprising, for the huge animal was more than a hundred years old, and had been constantly doing the heaviest kind of labor ever since he was a calf. Paul saw to it that the great blue ox was given the very best of attention, but all efforts were unavailing toward saving his life. After his death, his ribs were used, so some stories tell us, to form the sides of a big locomotive roundhouse in Seattle. Paul would hardly have allowed the remains of his devoted pets to come to so sordid an end, however, and the story that says that the Olympian mountains are the burial mound of Babe is probably the correct one. Not long after this, Mrs. Paul also passed away. The big logger mourned his double loss greatly, and it seemed from that time on, he began to lose his interest in the things he used to do with so much energy and ambition. He had already begun to get very much disgusted over some of the newfangled methods which were being introduced into the woods, replacing some of the better old-fashioned ideas about logging which he had developed. So it wasn't very long before he began to get rid of all of his business interests and at last retired from all further lumbering activity. Having too many people around always irritated Paul, except when he was in a logging camp and the people about him were his own men. Now, even the woods were beginning to get crowded, for many lumbermen were starting operations in the western forests as well as among those still standing further east, and Paul felt that his place was taken by others. With so many trying to do the work which he had done alone, and on such a big scale in the olden days his services were no longer needed. Taking only his fore and aft moose terrier, Elmer, and his guns with him, Paul Bunyan one night slipped away from all the men who knew him and went far through the thickest woods. There, in the heart of the wildest country that he could find, he put up his shanty, and there he still lives. All alone except for his dog. Men say that he can never die until the last tree is cut down and that until such a time comes Paul Bunyan and his lone companion will continue to roam the forests. Once in a while he and Elmer may appear almost any place where there are trees but as they are always going at a furious pace it takes sharp eyes to see them at all. They are always running at great speed chasing down the wild game that is their food. And often, when the winter winds blow harshly, whistling through the trees and moaning down chimneys and around the corners of houses, woodsmen say that these sounds are made by Paul Bunyan calling his dog as they rush along on their endless hunting. The End
0: And that, my little critters, is the end of this here story. But don't you fret none. If you missed any part of it, you can go on back and listen to it as many times as your kinfolk can stand it. And in just a day or so, we're starting a brand new story, which I'm sure you won't want to miss. So hit that follow button, and you'll get notified of each and every new episode of Far Far's far Fables. See you next time.
1: Someone has written in the back of the book, everyone hates Mrs.